uh, really goes, uh, takes off and the very old plans are implemented, they must first get the public to think that it's chaos. Remember, order out of chaos is their motto, really. And they have to destroy all that was to bring in the new. That means any memory of any alternate system, any other way of life. That is what socialism is based upon. I've mentioned that very good documentary that you can purchase apparently called The Soviet Story. And I'm going to tie what that says into where we're going because it's a socialist system we're going into with all of its mayhem and horror. I'll be back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. The Soviet story is very, very good for documentary, especially these days where there's so much spin on things. It shows you an awful lot for the first time as to what socialism was really all about, and communism. Communism is simply socialism introduced by revolution. And uh, I think Stalin said that uh, it was basically socialism in a hurry. That's how he described it. And one of the first things they always do in socialism and these kind of revolutions, and this happened also in the French Revolution, because it was run basically by the same people, not a new idea, well organized, always with an agenda. They go through a period of very rapid um, depopulation of unwanted groups under the guise that these particular segments of society are too backward and they will not catch up fast enough. They'll, they'll keep the others behind. So they simply kill them off. That's a part of social engineering policy they always introduce. So eugenics and the killing off of what they call the unfit is something they always do right off the bat when they're in power. Remember, there's many ways to do it. If you have a Fabian socialist society, you simply bring in the national health care system and down the road to create crisis after crisis until there's more folk dying in need of health care than people who actually get treated. There's many ways to do things. It all depends on how you see it and how you can analyze it. Because socialism never changes its agenda. And remember that, and I have the link on my archives and my, my website uh, to the, the talk given by Senator Dodds Norman Dodds, who was sent out in the 50s, early 50s, to do the Rees Commission, uh, ordered by Congress as an investigation into the big tax-exempt foundations, the big foundations that are to do with the United Nations, etc., because they wondered why they all seemed to be heavily financing what appeared to them uh, to be communist organizations, and they, they really were not communist as such. Socialism is more accurate. And socialism hides behind many other terms. But uh, Dodds was shocked when he talked to the heads of the Ford and Carnegie and Rockefeller Foundations and the one at the Ford Foundation told them openly, he said um, our job is to change, alter, alter, to drastically, radically alter the culture in America uh, so much that it would eventually 
seamlessly blend with that of the Soviet Union down the road. And that seems like a big task to people, an impossible task to people. But listen to the talks I've given in the past about how American culture was created during the 20th century, who was in charge of it. And look at the Bernays techniques of creating a, a people who are mass consumers who followed a certain pattern of thought, thinking, a, a certain type of patriotism, all bound up with its commercialization, etc. And don't forget, too, I've also gone through the culture creation industry and how rapidly, really rapidly, starting around before World War II, but then really speeding up uh, after the 40s and with a, a new wave, which they called revolutionary in the 1960s, how drastically they've altered American and Western culture. That was all done by a plan and to a plan. Because they said in all the writings from the 1700s onwards, they would destroy, destroy the family unit. The family unit passes values on, you see, intergenerationally to their children. They said they could never be safe. And Wells and Bertrand Russell, uh, the Huxleys, and many other people right down to the present have said the same thing. Uh, that they'd have to stop this passing on of contamination, contaminated ideas and morality to the offspring. Because, you see, the basic family unit is a tribal unit. They stand up for each other against unjust authority. And only when that was eradicated would government feel safe enough to really, really take off like a rocket with its true mandate of social engineering into the future, the brave new world, also called the New World Order. As I say, with drugs introduced at the same time, and the, the music industry suddenly exploding, uh, the segregation of the generations, and a whole market basically developed for the youth. And all the slogans that went with it too, don't trust anyone over 30 being spouted by one person in particular who got so much time on American television as a top communist. It was rather amazing until you realized that the media were part of the whole thing from the very beginning. And promiscuity, as Bertrand Russell said, would have to be promoted to an incredible degree until the whole idea being, you see, he already tried this with experimental schools, He'd be given a charter from royalty earlier on to have these special schools to, to attempt to see if he could create pre-pubertal sex and interest in this. Yet, so you have Pavlov in the, in the Soviet Union doing his experiments, and you have Russell and others in the West doing their experiments. And they were sharing data, by the way, because there never was a difference between the two. You see, the ultra-rich elite and the bankers are also the same boys who run the socialism as well. They run left-wing and right-wing. And they're both working for the same organization, for the same one agenda. But the idea is that the more promiscuous children are, the less likelihood there is of bonding with one person down the roads and having a family. That was essential. And... 
were always fooled by things that happened, like the Berlin Wall suddenly came down, just like that. And um, out comes Mr. Gorbachev on the arms of Margaret Thatcher, being toured around the world as a partner to Thatcher's policies. And he got knighted, in fact, eventually. I think uh, he's a knight of uh, Lazarus in London. And he's given his little green cross to go out to push the greening system, the Green Party type idea. The Green Party itself, remember, uh, really green is a sacred color of socialism. Red is its flag for revolution. But he was pushed across the world to push, promote socialism. I've read articles about him, and that's what he says. I promote socialism. I've just explained to you that socialism is an agenda, very old agenda, that has nothing to do with helping the working people, by the way. They simply look at the people, they say, what do we need? What's the problem now? There's not enough jobs for the people. How do you fix that? Well, you eliminate the excess people. That's very practical in the minds of the socialists. They also believe that those who are superior, genetically, etc., have the right to survive. H.G. Wells uh, of the Fabian Society. Um, you find that George Bernard Shaw, who wrote Man and Superman, all of these characters, including the, the, the Prime Minister of Britain today, who's a Fabian, as was the previous one, they believe in this, these same policies. And it's just unfortunate with the kill them, but that's how it has to be. H.G. Wells went as far in his modern utopia as to say that no one would be allowed to come through could any hereditary illnesses. They'd have to kill them off. So nothing has changed. And now they're convincing the world we're in an awful crisis. And it's all our fault, of course, even though these same characters, these globalists, and they've always been internationalists for centuries. They've never had a nation. They, they, doesn't matter where they base themselves. The fact is people are peasants everywhere who are useful for a time. Because they see themselves as a separate species from the rest. They are more evolved than the rest. They have no affiliation to the troops that go off to fight for them in any country. No affinity. So here is Gorbachev with his little thing to do across the world. Remember too the Green Party was set up by a top communist uh, right-hand man of Stalin who was the, I think it was the grandfather of Madeleine Albright by the way. Uh, as, as the method whereby communism would go off in its next wave, its next level of introduction across the world, its expansion, exactly what the Reese Commission un, un, uh, found out in the U.S. It would blend with the West because the West would already be changed so much there wouldn't be much difference between them. That's what's happening. And here's Gorbachev in the Sydney Morning Herald and this is today's paper. This is time for a second American revolution in the spirit of perestroika. Michael Gorbachev. Years ago, as the Cold War was coming to an end, I said to my fellow leaders around the globe, the world is on the cusp of great events, and in the face of new challenges, all of us will have to change, you as well as we. For the most part, the reaction was polite but skeptical silence. And now I'll just remind people here, 
to look up the Toronto Sun archives and find Eric Margolis's uh, written speech of Gorbachev, what he really actually said when he was saying farewell to the top Soviet leaders. What he said was, he says, you will hear that communism shortly is dead. Don't believe it, he said. We're moving off to the next phase across the world. Read it for yourselves. So I just thought I'd remind old uh, Gorby here of what he really did say. He says, in recent years, I've often told listeners that I feel Americans need their own change, a perestroika, not like the one in my country, but an American perestroika, and the reaction has been markedly different. People are applauding by the thousands. I'll be back with more on the story after this break. others at the same time are all pushing the same globalist agenda, but not just the globalist agenda. They'll never admit their whole policy uh, report that they've got all written down on pat, certainly within their minds too. They've studied it off enough because this is socialism. And this is also why you're hearing the drumbeat that the world is overpopulated and we can't go on like this and we've got to do sterilization and so on from mainstream media. They all work together, this incredible networking system the only organized system on the planet, to be honest with you, backed by the big banks and foundations. Bankers don't sit back and wait to go out of business. Their job is planning the future, especially the big banking families that make up the International Monetary Fund, international lenders. We all know who they are, they're listed. They've run nations for centuries. They've financed all wars for centuries. And yes, they are socialists. They're socialist multi-trillionaires. This is what Gorbachev said. He says, uh, others have objected to what his policies are, sometimes sarcastically suggesting that I want the United States to experience upheaval just like the former Soviet Union. In my country, particularly caustic reactions have come from the opponents of perestroika, people with short memories and a deficit of conscience. Our perestroika signaled the need for change in the Soviet Union, but it was not meant to suggest a capitulation, capitulation to the U.S. model. He's quite right. It was meant to be, The U.S. by then would be changed forever, and it was. Today, he says, the need for a more far-reaching perestroika one for America and the world has become clearer than ever. Need for change in the Soviet Union in the mid-1980s was urgent. Why was it urgent? I'll tell you why it was urgent. is because the dictatorship of the proletariat was only to last about 70 years. That's what Lenin said himself. It was time for this next part, you see. The country was stifled by a lack of freedom, and the people, particularly the educated class, wanted to break the stranglehold of a system that had been built under Stalin. What was it like then? Well, you had to have passes to go anywhere in the country or out of the country, uh, and even outside your own area at times, something like it is now across the Western world. If you've noticed, you need permits and ID cards, and you have to go through all the security with men pointing guns at you and stuff like that. You know, that's how the old Soviet Union was. 
Think about it. See, it's all here. <laughs> and of course, who did Bush uh, in the last regime appoint as his top man for the Homeland Security, etc.? A guy from the KGB. What better, right? And everyone thinks we're, we're all different. We're all different regimes. They're all the same regime. There's the fastest way to change a world, a Cold War. And the two sides become the same. Gradually, gradually become the same. All throughout those years. And the Soviet Union did what socialism does do. It standardized many countries into one system in a very short time. That was its main purpose. This is what it says. We opted for free elections, political pluralism, freedom of religion, and an economy with competition and private property. This sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It's far from the truth. Because, as you all know, all the politicians change their hats and call themselves other names, other parties. He says, we sought to affect these changes in an evolutionary way and without bloodshed. We made mistakes, important decisions were made too late, and we were unable to compete or complete our perestroika. Nevertheless, perestroika won because it brought the country to a point from which there could be no return to the past. Now, he's telling us a socialist truth there, just as it, it is true here. What's happened to the Western world means we can't return to the past. They've made sure of that. They made sure of it when they set up NAFTA, then GATT, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, and a whole bunch of regulations to allow all of your industry to be exported abroad. So how can you go back? You can't. In the West, the breakup of the Soviet Union was viewed as a total victory that proved that the West did not need to change. Western leaders were convinced that they were at the helm of the right system of a well-functioning, almost perfect economic model. Nonsense. Rubbish. The Western world was already coming down. It was designed to, at the same time. Britain had been in a depression pretty well from the, 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 the 60s right through to the present. The same thing was happening in Canada, the States, as jobs became fewer and fewer and fewer. And of course, as I say, they were exporting the jobs all through the uh, late 80s and right through the 90s. The factories, too, they were exporting, and the taxpayers of the West under GATT were paying for the shipping of whole factories over to China and also guaranteeing international corporations who took the deal that, that they would lose no money, lose nothing until they were up and running because the taxpayers would make up the difference. What a deal, eh? Anyway, I'm, I'm just reading the propaganda that Mr. Gorbachev put now here, the, the other dreamy story. Says, but then came the economic crisis of 2008 and 2009, and it became clear that the new Western model was an illusion that benefited chiefly the very rich. No kidding. That's show that the poor middle class saw little or no benefit from the economic growth of the past decades. He's getting to his point eventually. I'll be back with more after this message. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
were cutting through the matrix, reading a spiel by Mr. Gorbachev, who's giving the, the same spiel as everyone else has given at the top of this wonderful world. Uh, these guys really must have different colored glasses than most people, because it's not the world that, uh, that I see around me. But uh, apparently, according to Gorbachev, it's, it's going under tremendous improvements in certain countries that we all have to emulate. But he goes on about sustainability and, and so on and so on, all the usual terms, it's the buzzwords from the top. And then he says, elements of such a model already exist in some nations. This is how we've all returned. Countries such as Malaysia and Brazil have achieved impressive rates of growth. China and India have pulled hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. Actually, millions have committed suicide. I've read the articles recently. But again, that's socialist policy, isn't it? They always want that lot killed off. As you find that uh, the Rothschilds are in there buying up massive chunks of land that were owned by these farmers who are now out of business or dead. But why let facts get in the way? It says, by mobilizing state resources, France has built a system of high-speed railways, while Canada, <laughs> this is beautiful, provides free health care. No such thing as free health care. The taxpayers pay for it all. Heavily taxed country, Canada. And you can't get the health care. In Sudbury, you can't get health care. You get a number in an office amongst about 80 other people, and you might not see the doctor that day. They're in and out, going different places and so on. Five just left, by the way. And, and, and you may have maybe 15 seconds to say what's wrong with you before you're, you're out the door with, with some, something to kill pain. That's all they'll do now is kill pain. They won't treat anything. It's cheaper to kill the pain and have you die than treat you for anything. That's socialism, you see. It's a political institution. It says here, among the new democ democracies, Slovenia and Slovakia have been able to mitigate the social consequences of market reforms. The time has come to strike the next balance between the government and the market for integrating social and environmental factors and demilitarizing the economy. Washington will have to play a special role in this new perestroika, not just because the United States wields great economic, political, and military power, but because America was the main architect and America's elite the main beneficiary of the current world economic model. That model is now cracking and will sooner or later be replaced. That will be a complex and painful process for everyone, including the United States. Well, we know all about that because... Jack Satali and other top UN guys wrote about it back in 1990. It's called uh, Winners and Losers in the New World Order. It's, the actual first title is Millennium. However different the problems that the Soviet Union confronted during her perestroika and the challenges now facing the United States, the need for new thinking makes these two eras similar. In our time, we faced up to the main task of putting an end to the division of the world winding down the nuclear arms race and diffusing conflicts. We will cope with the new global challenges as well, but only if everyone understands the need for real cardinal change, cardinal change, for a global perestroika. So that's the spiel that's coming out of, of Gorbachev, but he means it too, because he's in on the agenda. He knows there's going to be massive upheaval in the West. We all know it too, because that's why he militarize uh, basically the the, the Police forces everywhere, every government agency is militarized, and we're all under basically martial law, aren't we? That's to take care of the 30 years of riots as we go through this adjustment that he's on about here.
this adjustment into the new system. That's what he's talking about. Now, there's some callers on the line, and I'll, I'll take them now and then read some more articles. There's Dave from California. Are you there, Dave? I sure am, Alan. It's good to talk to you again. Yes. Uh, I've got two questions. One, have you seen any improvement in the uh, flora and fauna and uh, insect population up where you live? Last time we spoke, you said it was getting pretty, pretty low. Well, the insects are fine, but the problem is they're all biting ones. Oh. Uh, it's, I mean, see, I've had six weeks of rain so far. The ground hasn't dried. It's exactly what happened last year. Spray in the morning, it rains all day like crazy, and then it brightens up for one hour right now, and then it overcasts again and it rains all night. That's six weeks so far. I had it all last year, June and July, but the, the mosquito population, the black fly population, and the deer fly that love humans, I don't, I don't know why they call them deer fly, are out like crazy uh, looking for blood. And I've already donated to nature enough blood this year already. To, I can't go through the rest. I'll be anemic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, around here, basically, all the populations are extremely low still, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm not complaining about the redu- reduction in mosquitoes. Uh, the other question is, uh, you've mentioned a number of authors that, predicted all this stuff and, and because basically they were they were in on it. Uh, yeah. Would you give us a list of uh, additional fictional or uh, other types of authors uh, that uh, you've read that we can we can go through? Uh, for instance, I often thought H, uh, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, yeah. for instance. Yeah. yeah. Well, in, in the book, uh, America's uh, Cultural Cold War, uh, which has only been out for less than a year, it has a lot of declassified government information about how the CIA ran and does run the culture industry for the states. It's the last place you'd look for is the CIA. But they set up all the institutions for it, and they do mention lots of authors that they paid. They said themselves they would be hack writers. They'd never get off the ground on their own, and they hired them to write novels, etc., um, as long as they wrapped in certain themes and certain ideas that the public would think that they were, they were their own after, after reading them. So, so it's worth getting out that book to read to find who is who. You find, for instance, that um, uh, even high poets, uh, lots and lots of university professors, stacks and stacks of them, um, and people who had access to articles and journals and so on, uh, were working for the CIA and writing specific themes that the CIA told them to write about. Yeah. Even the fashion industry, uh, big high players in the fashion industry um, were in on it. Um, the, the, the actual painting arts, you know, artistry, etc., uh, sculptures, all these things. These, mo- most of the famous people all through the 20th century, to be honest with you, were, were employed by MI6 and the CIA. Boy. <laughs> We've got a long hill to climb, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah. Well, it's nice talking to you. Stay away from those biting insects. I have to. <laughs> okay, see you later. Thanks for coming. There's Tiffany from New York. Are you there, Tiffany? Hello, Tiffany. Hello, Hello? is Tiffany there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me yep. okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I'm new to your show. This is just my second time calling in. So I was kind of curious to know when did you have your aha moment? <laughs> you, know, you were awakened to the realization that, you know, something's just not quite right here. Yeah. And were you, you know, you talk about the Matrix, the movie The Matrix. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they always had the agents 
you know, trying to kill the people who were trying to wake everybody up. So are you ever fearful about the agents, so to speak? Oh, I tell you, I've had my harassment from them, open harassment, intimidation from them. They haven't killed me yet. But uh, they certainly give you lots of harassment, uh, following you, um, driving up with uh, the darkened uh, windscreen car uh, vehicles, SUVs, at night when you're walking the dog, night after night with the lights off, stopping and, and then backing away again. All that kind of nonsense. But um, I woke up very early on. Uh, I've always asked questions, um, and I couldn't understand from a very early age as to why uh, this supposed country, uh, Britain, uh, that ruled the world, a good chunk of it, uh, why so many of the population, actually the majority of them, were, were working class poor. Uh, if, if all this world had been plundered of riches for centuries and centuries, all the poor had supplied were the bodies to, uh, that filled the uniforms. But um, uh, this simply didn't make sense to me. Plus, when I was going to school, I noticed that the histories I was getting, uh, recent histories, etc., uh, were differed completely from the histories in the old libraries that I had access to, where you could get reference books there, written in the 1700s, some of them. And I, I, I asked all the right questions at school, and I realized that school was nothing but a, an updated indoctrination process uh, to, to give you a type of reality. But I, I knew from a very early age, and I also knew uh, for years that we were going to amalgamate completely uh, with Europe, it wasn't just a, a trading deal, an economic deal they were doing, because I'd read the old books by H.G. Wells and different ones, and where they all said that, they'd have to bring in a united Europe. And they were writing, writing this kind of stuff in the 1900s, and they belonged to the largest uh, institutions of their day, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR, and the Fabian Society. They're all branches, of, they're specialized branches of the same one organization. So I, I knew early on... Um, that we were managed scientifically and of course getting the right books like Bertrand Russell who actually writes about the scientific dictatorship and how the public would live their lives and come to conclusions that were all prepared for them and never knowing uh, how they even arrived at these conclusions because of the techniques that had been used upon them they were, they were very open about what they were already doing to the public and uh, there's even much more out in it now Brzezinski himself talked about um, uh, techniques using technotronic uh, equipment, that's warfare, electronic equipment, um, pulse waves, etc., uh, across whole nations, he says, that will alter their brain frequency, etc. Now, he was a top man for the, for the NSA, the National Security Agency. He wasn't dreaming this stuff up. They had the stuff ready to go. And, and they all talked about this brave new world idea, new world order, um, a, a planned society across the whole world and how they'd have to eradicate the old type of system and bring in this uh, expertly managed system where there'd be no freedom to choose what you want to do anymore. It'd all be planned from the top. They outlined everything um, and I, I just had a, an incredible hunger for all of these books all through my life uh, written by the people themselves and, and, then, and then actually seeing each step implemented in my own life, lifetime. So uh, I've always kind of been awake, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So you know that, that there's been some talk on the Internet about the A-12. Do you think that's more propaganda? And um, 
just something for, for, for the public to become fearful of? Maybe like it, it, it serves different purposes. One of them is predictive programming. When you expect something to happen and they actually implement it on that, at that time, you're kind of prepared for it. But uh, um, what they have admitted to, and this was on national television, the, the government station, CBC Canada, in 2005, when they signed the first open agreement of amalgamation for the Americas, uh, the, the U.S. president signed it and, and the two other prime ministers signed it for Canada and Mexico. The, the CFR came out openly on the same newscast as the Council on Foreign Relations for the first time, not as an advisor to some guy, but actually under their own auspices and their own banner and said that they had drafted up these agreements and that this site signatory would be the first one or, and the last one would take place in 2010. By 2010, the Americas were to be totally integrated economically, politically, etc. Well, we're, we're pretty well there now, actually. And they said that by 2012, 2012, you'll find in different publications by the UN and so on, that they are to be elevated up to their world status as, as the, the sort of titular world governments. That's what that's for. Well, thank so it's really so just much. a plan and a timetable. Uh, that was written long ago, long ago. There's nothing supernatural about it. Uh, it's all out there. And um, we've had many uh, uh, follow-ups to the integration of the Americas since the first signatory uh, in 2005. And uh, top executives and bureaucrats in our federal government can now apply for jobs in Washington, D.C., and vice versa. Uh, in Fortress America, as a part two, of it, they said that um, uh, we're now sharing tariffs, import duties, etc. We're sharing totally the FBI, CIA, and all intelligence, one network system. It's all one system. So we're, we're been integrating and integrating uh, more and more since 2005. But that's the last, the last uh, uh, signing is in 2010, and that's total integration. Wow. And, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so amazing. And I know that you know the Project Paperclip. Yeah. You know, the, the FBI and the CIA and the police, they're supposed to protect and to serve, you know. But why would you send some people over to um, our country who were killing, you know, all those Jews, you know, 1,500? Yeah. So yes. everyone knows that our, our – well, if you don't know, you should know. And if you don't know, they need to pick up a book that, you know, our best interest is not at hand here. Uh, not at all. Thank you very much. And thanks for calling. Thank you. And, and we've got to remember, too, that um, there are many, many people, even top top Jews, very rich Jews, who are complete socialists as well, all for this world agenda. And other ones who call themselves communists, they're for it, too, because it's socialism as well. Fascism, socialism, communism are the same thing, because they were all... They all came out of the upper intelligentsia, the, the wealthy class, all of the ideas. And it's for their own benefit to maintain an oligarchy down through time. And they use one system, one phase of it after another. We're post-industrial, we're post-technological, really, in the West. It's all done in China. And we technically have no more economic value for them. And now we have to be persuaded 
to allow ourselves to be sterilized, culled off, and so on. And I kid you not, that's what, they, that's what they're promoting. The children in school like, will come out and voluntarily uh, request sterilization to save Mother Earth. You wait and see. Uh, there's Deborah from Maryland. Are you there, Deborah? I am, Alan. Yes. How are you? I'm hanging in here and uh, ha- having a transfusion so I can face the mosquitoes again. Oh, jeez. Yep. Um, <laughs> it, oh, my God. I remember Canada and canoeing in the um, boundary waters, and I remember the black flies and mosquitoes rather well. Yes. Did you notice um, you never see those in the the ads for, for tourism? No. <laughs> you never see what? that. I don't know if they have a big fan there or something that, that sucks them away from the from the people. And I don't know, but I tell you, I don't know how they fake it or if they do it in a studio, but you never see a single mosquito sucking the blood out of someone. No, no bugs whatsoever. No. But I, I find it highly suspicious. You've got Mikhail Gorbachev, who is with Global Green, who started Global Green. Mm-hmm. With uh, my aunt, um, Diane Simon. Mm-hmm. And here he is, you know. Yep. It never went away. Never went away, no. Now, when he was parade around with Maggie Thatcher, I knew this guy's designate for high things. <laughs> I'll be back with more after this break. Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix and we'll grab Terry from Canada before the show is over. Are you there, Terry? Hello, Terry. Is Terry there? No. Is Deborah still there? I'm still here. Oh, okay. I guess I the board band's not there, eh? <laughs> oh my goodness. I just wanted to tell everybody, um, Please donate to Alan, and you know, even if it's just what you would spend on lunch tomorrow, every dollar counts. It really does. And you're like that voice in the wilderness that you know is is my voice, and so many others out there who are just outraged, who see you know what is happening and what has happened and what will be. No, that's true enough. It, it definitely will be, as these guys keep telling us over and over again, this is coming, we're doing this, and and uh, the people feel helpless in a sense because they understand, okay. they mean the, the truth, they mean what they say, and yet the general public are, are in this uh, dazed m- mainstream media. Yeah, and it's yeah. like dancing with stars, but, you know, here, here, here's the real thing. You are the real deal. You don't mm-hmm. ask. You don't ask for uh, monetary, you know, supplements. Um, you're yeah. you're out there, yeah. and you are probably the only one who is out there doing what you're doing, and you're mm-hmm. you're speaking the truth, and people need to support that. Yeah, I, I try to I try to show them by using evidence, you know, no guesses, but evidence. But I try to show them how one topic is related to the next topic to the next one to 
to show you that this is very, very real and it's well organized. And uh, rather than just give you a scattergun approach to everything, a uh, hundred articles that terrify you, I try to yeah. show you how everything is so orchestrated in your life that you are living in a matrix system, and it is scientific truly. socialism. Yeah. Yeah, and you truly are. And those of you who are awake out there or just starting to wake up, just, you know, what you would spend on lunch tomorrow, send it to him. I can't stress that enough. You know, I, I just don't know what to say. Yeah. Just send him some help. Yeah, I mean, thank God you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's the alternative is to take advertising and get paid by the advertisers, which is very lucrative. I, that's what all the other hosts do. But, again, you're bound, then. Your, your topics sometimes uh, are limited because you're taking money from certain institutions. Well, you're paid, and, and um, not only are you paid, but you're told what you can say and what you can't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's bottom line. That's it. That's it. But thanks for calling, Deborah. My and best thanks for plugging me as well, because I need the plugs. I keep forgetting to plug myself. And I know people don't listen at the beginning of the show because they know what I'm going to say. So I should really mention it throughout the show if I can remember. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for calling. Now, is Terry from Canada there? No? Ellen? Oh, so, hello, Terry. You're there. You're, you're just oh, making it. You're very Can quick. You hear me? <laughs> okay, I'll, I hear the music coming in. Do you want me to hold over? And, no, no, this is the last one, actually, so you have to oh, be that, very that was it. I just had a very interesting comment. You know, I had trouble getting through, obviously, but one of the things I wanted to mention, and history begins at Sumer with Samuel Noah Kramer. Yes. There's a mention of... Enki and the World Order, the organization mm -hmm. of the Earth and its cultural process, an account is given of Enki's creative activities in That's instituting nice. natural and cultural phenomena. A word from the wise, as they said. This is a very old plan. That's right. I read that on the air back in the 1998. Yeah. It, it's it's got to be 5,000 years old. That's right. It, there's not, it even says that the sky is full from horizon to horizon with government offices for taxation. 5,000 years ago. But thanks funny, for calling. Thanks for calling, Terry. From Hamish, myself, and to your Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.